So when I say, like, how often does that anxiousness, does that anxiety begin to rise up within you? Not has it ever. No, because we're kind of living in a time that feels it just keeps popping up in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of contexts. It doesn't matter whether it's at home, in relationships, family, friends, or jobs, bosses, coworkers, or even like turning on the television or turning on our computers, right? The anxiousness because of the events that are swirling around us kind of feel like they're overwhelming, that there's just too much going on. And maybe you even feel like you, you're ready to hide. You just don't even want to get out of bed. That, or maybe, maybe you feel like, as uh, some of the billionaires are doing, like you want to be shot off into space. Maybe you come back, maybe not. We're all in this kind of together and we're probably in different positions where it can feel like it's stifling or it's annoying or you can't get a break from it or we're watching others struggling even more than ourselves with this anxiousness that seems to be pervading every aspect of our lives. And so when thinking about, okay, how do I get through this? How can I figure this out? How, where do I go? You know, it's this whole thing of, well, okay, does Jesus say anything about it? Does Jesus kind of help us in any of this? If I'm going to say and commit myself to being a follower of Jesus, a Christian, does that begin to change my anxiety, my anxiousness that kind of begins to bubble up with all the events that are happening around us? And what's interesting about asking that question is we're not the only ones. Sometimes we feel like, we maybe we're at a different time, the anxiousness is greater than, but if we think about it right, throughout history, right, I can start naming off events, World War II, World War I, the Spanish flu pandemic, the Revolutionary War, the Crusades, the Black Death. Like there are all these events throughout history where people felt that anxiousness, that anxiety because of the events around them that they could not control. And so how did Jesus, how did being a follower of Jesus change the way they navigated that time in the past and how can it help us today? So as we're looking at this question, we are going to go to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is the first century and he, he actually didn't know Jesus in person like the first 12 apostles did. He comes a little bit later in, but he's in this early church. And he's trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus when he is imprisoned. He's imprisoned for talking about Jesus, for talking about the love of Christ, for talking about how transformative it can be. And we may be like, wait a minute, like he was talking about kindness and healing and encouragement and how Jesus can change your life when you follow and that lands him in prison. That's ridiculous, right? That's unfair. And here we see how he navigates. We're going to look at how he is trying to figure this out. His experience of navigating really difficult situations where we would expect 
a whole lot of anxiety, a whole lot of worry, a whole lot of fear. And even those around him are going to be questioning because they are fearful for him. And so a sense of how do we navigate no matter the situation we find ourselves in, no matter the events that are swirling around us, no matter the things that try to demand that we focus upon and drain us of energy. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 1. And this is a letter Paul is writing to the people of Philippi. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have had more confidence through the Lord to speak the word, the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. Some certainly preach Christ with jealous and competitive mo motives, but others preach with good motives. They are motivated by love because they know that I'm put here to give a defense of the gospel. The others preach Christ because of their selfish ambition. They are insincere, hoping to cause me more pain while I'm in prison. Okay, so a couple of things are happening there. He's writing to the people of Philippi. Philippi is in uh, today what would be is northern Greece. Uh, northern Greece even at that time, but part of the Roman Empire. It was popular uh, retirement community at that time for Roman guards, Roman soldiers. Uh, good standard of living. The weather was nice. It was sunshiny. And here Paul is writing to this community because they are worried about him. They are worried that he is in jail, even for ridiculousness, right? They're worried. And his response to them has, hey, everybody knows why I'm here. The Praetorian Guard, the, the people, everyone around knows why I'm here because I am here to talk about Christ. And it's kind of interesting because what he's doing here, he's like, wait a minute, I am not focused upon how I've been wronged, how things are unfair, how things are not going the way I wanted it, how I am in prison for no good reason. Instead, he's focusing himself on the life of Christ. And not only talking about it, but also living it. And we may be going, okay, what is he exactly saying to everybody around him about Christ? In those words, we don't have, but we have all of these letters of how he would talk about the love of God, that the love of Christ, that nothing can separate him from the love of Christ, that he often saw this encouragement and healing as being a necessity as a follower of Christ, that he fully believed that he could be transformed, his life could be transformed by the way that he lived into Christ. And so here we're getting a sense of that. He's like, wait a minute, I'm going to focus now on the life of Christ and about talking about how much love there is. And we can only imagine that the guards are like, what's up with this guy? Could he like yell back at us or curse at us or tell us how wrong or how outraged he is, how this isn't the way that he thought his life was going, right? The situation that Paul finds himself in, he could become despairing, sullen, angry, vicious, reactive, vengeful. But Paul is going, nope, I'm going to focus on actually the teachings of Jesus that give me another way of thinking and being no matter the situation. 
and that it's important that he has this focus even as he is surrounded in prison by these guards, by the prison bars holding him in, right? Because even outside of that, he is recognizing, you know, there are some people who are talking about Christ, who, are, who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they don't have really good motives. They're insincere, they're judgmental. It says they are jealousy and competitive mo motives. And so it's not just in that moment inside prison, but it's also coming in from the outside. It's like a mental game. And Paul is playing it, of saying, I'm not playing what you're doing. I am going to live according to Christ. I'm going to live that healing, that love. I'm going to live into that peace and that joy. And there's nothing you can do, no matter if it's people who say, well, we're Christians too, on the outside, not being kind, or if it's those that he is seeing on an everyday basis. And so for ourselves, as we're thinking about that, as we're thinking about the things that try to demand our attention, that we feel like are trying to control us and hold us down, are making our anxieties just kind of bubble up, where do we focus? Do we focus on how we are being wronged, how it's unfair, how this is too hard, or are we focusing on the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That Christ's life, the way that Christ lived, to, to the point of death, and then the resurrection that says, nope, there's always renewal, there's always hope. Nothing can stop God in this world. What begins to be our focus when those anxieties begin to rise? Because here Paul is having that discussion because the anxiousness, the anxieties of the people of Philippi are rising as well. Continuing on in Philippians 1, 18 through 20. What do I think about this? Just this. Since Christ is proclaimed in every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I'm glad and I'll continue to be glad. I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as always, whether I live or die. Okay, so the first thing he's making mention, right? He recognized not everybody has good motives in this world, right? We have no control over that. And he's even talking about the people talking about Christ saying, I'm a follower of Christ. And here he is making a statement. Christ is proclaimed whether from dishonest or true motives. God is bigger than... God is bigger than our motives. God is bigger than our screw-ups. God is bigger than our focus. And so to think about Christ in that way, that Christ is bigger than, and that Christ was always about, okay, well, let's how, how do we rethink this? How do we begin to live out of this? That we may not be able to change the circumstance, but we can change the way that we live because God is constantly bringing good out of any situation. 
that no matter the situation that we find ourselves in, the events that are happening, where is God at work and are we noticing that? Because God is so much bigger than our motives, our screw-ups, our imperfections, our judgments, our anger, our hatred, our revenge, our anxieties. God is so much bigger than that. And so do we notice? Are we trying to refocus ourselves? Are we trying to see where that's happening? Because here Paul goes on to say, right, it is my expectation and hope. Because he's like, Christ is bigger than this, bigger than what anybody is saying. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as, I, as always, whether I live or die. All right, now that's, that's a really important point there, whether I live or die, because Paul can't control the circumstances. He can only control how he is reacting, how he is engaging, how he is living. And so he is so focused on in this moment, in this opportunity, that he is going to live the way of Christ, that people are actually going to notice People are going to kind of pay attention and that he will live it to such an extent that it, that way will actually go far beyond even his life. And we may be going, okay, well, what, what do we mean by that? We do this all the time, actually. When we highlight somebody's life and we tell a story, I can think of uh, stories I tell about different individuals where their kindness and their compassion was so powerful when they were alive that I refer back to it and I begin to tell that story again. And you can probably think of, right? You're probably going, wait a minute. Okay, I really admired their courage. I really admired how they, and when we tell that story to others, when we begin to verbalize it, when we are trying to say, wait a minute, that experience didn't just stop there, but how I experienced it from them, it lives on. Their way of living lives beyond their lifespan which is kind of a cool thing to think about. That we can live in such a way that is so closely connected to God that there can be moments of how we live into that that are so powerful that it begins to live beyond. Instead of people going, yeah, they were anxious all the time, they were always angry, very negative, always judgmental, always the world was falling apart. Instead, we can live in such a way that people go, man, that took courage to live through that. I, I can't believe how kind they were. Their love, the way that they would be peaceful in the midst of chaos was admirable and so those things begin to live beyond the lifespan. Those things that we get anxious about, that worry us, that really provoke that fear where we get the anxieties rising, even if it's not a major world event, but just from the everyday, trying to pay the bills, make sure there's food on the table, those regular everyday kind of anxieties and going, wait a minute, how can I live through that? That actually is a reflection of Christ, a refocusing. What is actually motivating me 
in this moment? What is motivating you to get through? What is motivating you when you feel the anxiousness rise? What is motivating you when you begin to respond with something different? Well, how can I love? How can I refocus? You know what? What does it mean to actually have hope in this situation? What does it mean for us to begin to push back against the despair? Because Paul is doing that. He is pushing against the despair and saying, no, I'm not taking that on. Someone else can have it. That's what they want. Because what motivates Paul is love. What motivates Paul is understanding the life of Jesus is intertwined with his life, even though he didn't actually meet him in person in the way that the 12 original ha originally had. And so to think about that, to think about our lives to be intertwined with Christ, who is this love and constant renewal, who every time that we begin to feel that pull into despair, we begin to feel those anxieties rise, begins to call out to us once more and strengthen us and say, wait a minute, is that, what is really motivating us here? What is motivating you? What are you focused upon? Is it life giving or is it life taking? Is it life draining? Is it pulling you into a place that you don't like? And what are you willing to do to turn towards the life of Christ, a life of hope, a life of love. Continuing on in verses 26, 21 through 26. Because of me, living serves Christ and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work, but I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with you, all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. All right, so here some have tried to make this out that Paul is um, uplifting martyrdom. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to articulate the fact that his life, whether he lives or dies, is completely intertwined with Christ. And he's actually holding up that even upon death, that it's intertwined even more so that it's not something to fear. That he is never going to be abandoned by, the, by Christ. He is never going to be abandoned by the love of God, which is kind of interesting because when we have our anxieties, when those things begin to rise, it sometimes begins to isolate us, right? We begin to think that we are alone in. We are alone in the challenges that we face. We are alone in the struggles of this life. And here Paul is highlighting, nope, totally intertwined through all of life and beyond, that never will he be abandoned. And so then his focus, his focus is here. I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help you progress and the joy of your faith. That his focus is so on Christ's love 
that it's also the focus begins to be on others. It begins to be on how can I impact others? How can I bring others this love? How can I bring others this joy that it doesn't be just sit and, and be only for us that we hold on to like we've unwrapped a little present and we're not going to show anybody, but instead it is so powerful and life-changing that Paul can't help but say, hey, you know what? I, this is where my focus is. Here's how it's changed me. How are you doing? Because all of us at some point struggle. All of us at some point worry. All of us at some point have those fears and those, that anxiousness just kind of begins to creep in and take over. And so we need others with us to point and say, wait a minute, you are loved. Wait a minute, you don't have to go through this alone. We can say, yeah, that is a terrible situation. That is absolutely, but you are not alone. You are still loved. You are still worthy. Peace is still possible. Joy, right? Because he talks about, I love this, to help, your, help you progress in the joy of your faith. That even Paul, while sitting in prison, while having to deal with all that that brings, is like, you know what? I want you to have joy. I want you to experience joy. I want you to be able to celebrate. And sometimes it takes us, right? It takes others pointing it out to us of like, wait a minute, notice. We can celebrate here. Oh, wait, here's where the joy is today. The joy in that we are never alone. That joy in that love. That joy that keeps saying, no, there's going to be renewal. We may not exactly know how, but we don't have to sit into the despair. We don't just have to sit in that judgmental, angry, hateful, sullen place. But instead, we've got opportunities to be able to celebrate and be joy-filled even when we feel like we are sitting behind some prison bars where life is just kind of closing in because of the events, the situations we find ourselves facing. And so a reminder to all of us, focus on the joy. Focus on the joy. Where is the joy? And if it's like, well, I've got nothing, well, focus on what would it mean to give some joy to others, to be able to help cultivate that in someone else? Continuing on in verses 27 through 30. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I am still facing. So a few things here. He talks about being united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together. 
And that's not to say that we aren't all have particular gifts. We we are distinct in many ways, right? There is separation, but where he's talking about being coming together in our struggle of one mind is that we are focused upon God's love. We are focused upon how Christ can change us, and that's what we're focused upon together. How it happens for each of us, a little bit different. How we're able to cultivate that for ourselves and others, a little bit different, but it takes all of us in it together to get through it so that we are struggling together and that when we are together in this, that all those things that we say is our enemy, and that doesn't even have to be a person, but anything that takes our time and energy in such a way that is soul crushing, that tries to say we are nothing, that says, nah, I don't know how lovable you really are, that says we are not worthy, that says, nope, there will never be peace for you. When we stand together, of continuously pointing to Christ's love, when we continuously point to, no, where's the renewal going to happen? Where's the hope? Where is, when we begin to struggle with each other in that, together to build each other up, to encourage each other, we can get through. So our enemies, whatever those things are, begin to lose their power over us. Begin to... We don't have to live that way because we're in it together. We're encouraging each other in the ways that we can. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now here that I'm still facing. Paul says, there's always going to be struggles. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something that demands from us our time, our energy, our resources, our Wanting to take, wanting to take our peace, wanting to take our joy, wanting to take away that love are going to say, nope, you should be anxious about that. Nope, allow that to consume your thoughts over and over again. And he's like, listen, not only should you all come together in the community that you find yourself in, not only can we strengthen and encourage one another, but he encourages them all the way forward. You're having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I'm still facing. Paul faced struggles and all he wants to do is encourage us. Almost 2,000 years later, all he wants to do is encourage us in Christ's love. And to think about that, here's a man who's struggling, who's facing very very grave difficulties, who may really lose his life, and ultimately he will, of still saying, but I still want to encourage you. And to be able to think about having that mindset in a day-to-day -day basis of going, wait a minute, I am going to be encouraging no matter what. I am going to love no matter what. I am going to hold on to hope no matter what is powerful, is much more powerful than that enemy, than being dragged down. Finishing up in Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other, 
Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out what, for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. So he finishes up there, right? He's finishing up with this encouragement of saying, no, be encouraged in Christ. Come together. Share in that love. Right? Any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit of God's presence, any sympathy, right? Complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Come together that we're going to encourage each other even as our anxieties rise and that we're going to be able to talk about that with one another. We're going to be able to share in those things because here's what we may find out. We may find out that the things that we struggle with individually, that other people, that we aren't even alone in that struggle. And so how can we encourage one another? How can we say, you know what? We are so focused on, A, how might we begin to be focused over here on something else? How might we begin to be focused on how to be that love to others? How to be that, offer that sense of sympathy? How to be that presence that says we can shift. We do not have to continuously look at the despair of this world and just give in. We can say yes to life in every way that we react, every word that we say, the way that we conduct ourselves, no matter the situation that surrounds us, because it's not just about us, but instead it's about all of us. Right? Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. We all need hope. We all need peace. We all need joy. We all need love in this life. And as I say that, you can probably think of the areas that you are struggling with that or that you feel those pain points of going, man, I could sure use. And here's the thing. Not only do we need to receive it, but we need to give it. Because when I am struggling for hope, I may need it from you. When you are struggling for peace, you may need it from me. And so we are able to give it to one another. So if we're sitting in our despair, our judgmental, our angry, our this is not the way that I wanted the world to work, this is not what I expected out of this world, that it's not just only pulling us down, but it may be pulling everyone else around down with us. And so here Paul is like, we all need these things. We need this mind of Christ. We need that healing presence. All of us need it. And so it requires all of us to begin to look to see, well, how can I be that for someone else? As this story challenges us in our anxieties, in the ways that our fears, our worries kind of bubble up and seem to kind of take over, how might we be challenged to live transformed, to live a different way, to live in a way that, as Paul says, is like the life of Christ, is that constant encouragement and love, is that constant healing, is that constant peace, is that constant joy, so that we can bring hope to others. 
How might we be challenged by this story today? Amen.